Wow, glory to God. Amen. If you all aren't the best congregational singing church I've ever been in, you're close. My goodness. Thank you, Brother Zach, and all of you for the great job that you do. I'm going to tell you what, folks. You are a church um, blessed beyond your ability to understand. If I were your pastor, which I'm not going to be, I'm done. Through with that. But if I were your pastor, I would go to three services immediately and probably to four. I've done as many as five. So I'm not kidding. I know what I'm talking about. Okay? Now, I had two heart attacks and a stroke, too, but that's, that's immaterial. All right, We're not going to worry about that. Ruthie came to all five of those services every week, preached the same sermon. She could preach my sermons. Don't try it, baby. Don't try it, baby. Don't, don't try it, Dolly. That's all right. Uh, you, you, you have too much to offer not to open your hearts and your arms and your pews to more people. You are a rare jewel, and we are loving our time with you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. Matthew 5, 6. And then 6.28 as we press ahead. Now, I noticed, Ruthie found this. We noticed that on your church app, it said down in the corner, Pastor's Blog. Well, guess what? I've put two posts up there this week. <laughs> I've never been slow to promote my own self. So I was like, that's a Pastor's Blog right there. And uh, Tim got me going on it, and so we're on it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, talk my journey toward fatherhood. You know, Father's Day is coming. I'm going to try to post something maybe every day or every other day till Father's Day. And I started out by telling how when I first saw Ruthie, I can still remember the first time I saw her, and how I proposed to her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought he was going to ask me to get out of the car, you know. But Ruthie, you don't have to go into commentary here. This well, isn't. I, I, I don't know what you've written. <laughs> no, yes, that's okay. true. I, I let her edit the first one I did, but the one about when I proposed to her, I just did that on my own. I just said, we're going to do that. Oh, it was sweet. And I thought that I would let you uh, have spare, uh, you know, equal time. I'm, I'm here for you. Honey. I know you are. Okay, all right, that's what I know. We've had a wonderful relationship. God has blessed us. I'll talk more about that uh, this morning. But uh, let's start uh, this morning. So, so I want you to read the blog. I knew I was going somewhere with that. Go, go read the blog. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it this week as you go toward Father's Day. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. Okay, Ruthie. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then Matthew 6, 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, 
Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we do not want. We thank you for the green pastures and the calm waters. Thank you for restoring our soul, calming our spirit. We do not fear, Lord, for you are with us, and your rod and your staff comfort us. Thank you that you prepare a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. Our cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life, and we will dwell with you in your house forever. May it be so precious, beautiful Savior. Amen. One of the great joys of being a pastor has been to, to spend between 15 and 20 hours a week on each new sermon that I preach and to take a passage and dig way down deep into it and try to find out what, what is going on underneath the surface. You can read the Beatitudes and not even hardly be moved. You can read them and say, okay, 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 okay. But now watch it. Do you see where we're going? This is our fourth one. Do you understand where we're going? Watch this now. Jesus said, first of all, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. In other words, you know you cannot help yourself. You know you don't have enough strength to live the Christian life on your own. Now because of that, you mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. You, you are sorry. You're sad. You cannot live the life you're supposed to live. But because you know you can't do it yourself, and you are sad that you cannot do it yourself, then blessed are you when you are meek. Remember the word meek means an animal that's been domesticated. So your appetites are under control. All right? So you go from knowing you can't do it yourself. You are so sorry. So you cry out to God. You're, you're domesticated. You're, you're tamed. You're under His leadership. He helps you take care of your appetites, your, 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 your things you desire and want. So you lock it in. You're God-disciplined. You're self-controlled. But now number four. But once you get there, though, whoa, you look around and you say, there's a lot more to this Christian life than just what I stop, just in what I control. There are things out here that I want to bring into my life. Joy, peace, love, kindness. All these things I wanted to bring to myself. That's what the fourth beatitude is about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after being right with God. Who, who want to walk with Him. Who, who want to live their lives in His presence. Blessed are you who want to please Him. Who want to know Him. So you know you can't do it yourself. You're sad you cannot do it yourself. You've given your life to Him in self-discipline. But now you say, Lord, I want what you have to give me. This was the verse of St. Bernard. St. Bernard was one of the greatest monks of the Middle Ages. Uh, St. Bernard was such a powerful preacher and a mighty servant of the Lord that when he started preaching, he opened a monastery and with, with, within one year, one year, 130 men had left their lives and their jobs to join the monastery. He was that powerful a servant of the Lord. This is the verse that gave him the strength of his life. He said he knew that he was a Christ follower because of this verse. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That was it. He said the way I knew is an old man. When he wrote, he looked back. He said that verse helped me know that I was a believer. He said because in my heart I always had 
a strong desire for God. We're going to take the words of St. Bernard and hang this sermon on. That's our coat rack, three racks right there. We're going to hang this sermon on those three things as he got it. That's the perfect analysis of this passage. So let's just walk through the passage, through the words of St. Bernard. Number one, I always had a strong desire for God. The Christian life, you never reach the point of satisfaction. You never say, okay, that's enough. You never have such a wonderful experience. You might be at a campfire someday. It might be at Super Summer. You might be off somewhere. You, you be, and you'll have such a great experience. You think, how in the world can I get any closer to God than this? Never. You never ex- adopt that thinking. You always know there's more. You hunger and thirst. You always have the desire. It is what separates you from unbelievers. I, I, many times through the years, obviously, people come to the pastor and say, I have my doubts about my salvation. I, and and I, think, I, I think pastors almost always start at the wrong end of that thing. They say, well, are you living a holy life? Have you given up this? Have you given up that? And that's important. But that's not really the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation is right here. St. Bernard got it. It is what are you hungering and thirsting for? So if someone comes to you with doubt, ask them this question. Do you love taking the Lord's Supper? Do you love seeing somebody get baptized? Do you like going to church? Do you like singing those songs? Do you like hearing that preaching? See, that's what separates a saved person from a lost person. Lost person has no interest in those things. So the first thing that St. Bernard said, I always had this. You have to ask yourself, you're constantly asking, do I want, do I desire, is this a part of my life? So number one, always had. Number two, I always had a strong desire for God. You do not have any appetites stronger than hungering and thirsting. Did you know, uh, you who are uh, smarter than I am in these things, you know this, but most of us do not know this, your body never quits hungering. Some of us know that better than others. Your body never quits thirsting. Even when you gorge yourself at a buffet and you are full, the moment you are done, your body is already thinking, where's the next meal going to come from? Because this is my life. I will die if there's not something more. So it is built into your DNA. You crave food and you crave water. It's always right there. It is a strong desire. And if you don't find food and water soon enough, you know how strong hunger and thirst can be. And so that's what the Lord is saying here. Blessed are you when you crave this. I like this because too many of our people are lackadaisical. Folks, it is amazing to me how many people are ho-hum about their faith Ruthie and I had some friends one time. They were as odd as a $3 bill. They were strange, but we always loved to be around them. You know why? They always wanted to talk about God. They were God people. I I just feel that our people are almost ho-hum. Yeah, I'm living the Christian life. I wonder where the fire is. I wonder where's this craving to be right with God. We somehow need to reach an intensity that that almost is desperation. 
There should be a feeling in you that the moment you commit a sin, envy, dislike, coveting, you just, just, just go down the list, whatever your list is, make your list. You should instantly, when you sin, you should want righteousness so badly that you feel that life itself is oozing out your pores. That you are literally dying. In fact, one of the ways you can know if you're a believer or not is, as your life has gone by, is the space between sin and repentance getting shorter. If it's not, you need to make your calling an election sure. One of the ways you know that you're a Christ follower is as time goes by, you can't stand it. You commit a sin, you can't hardly wait an hour. You can't wait a day. Because there's such a craving, there's such a longing, such a wanting, Him, for righteousness. You want to be right with Him that you can't stand it. So if you can sin, wait a day or two, let a week go by. You need to get in a corner somewhere. You need to search your heart and make sure that you are one of God's children. This is the kind of stuff that matters. When you commit a sin, you should instantly go, Oh, what was that? Ah, what happened to me right then? It is in the strong desire that the victory comes. Uh, I, I heard a pastor one time well say, When the prodigal son was a little bit hungry, he fed the, on husks. But when he was starving, he ran to his father. And that's what we need. We don't need little desire. We don't need ho-hum. We need to have a heart on fire with desire. The, the kind of desire that drives us to the Lord. Because if you don't have it, you'll never please Him. Let me give you some great illustrations from, from uh, the Bible. This is some really great stuff. Why did the rich young ruler go to hell? It's a great question. Because he wanted Christ. He did. He came out there in front of the crowd, humbled himself. Man, rich, rich men didn't do like this. They don't fall down like that. He humbled himself. He wanted Christ. Why did he go to hell? He went to hell because he didn't want Christ enough. You see, see God is not impressed with your warm fuzzy. I woke up this morning and felt so good about the Lord. It just, it just keep it to yourself, all right? Just see, God's not interested in your warm fuzzy. He wants the intensity. He wants it to be a craving. He wants it to be a burning in the heart. And the rich young ruler had some other things. He wanted more than he wanted God. So even though he wanted Christ, he did not go to heaven when he died. What about the wicked prophet in the Old Testament, Balaam? One of my favorite prayers of all came out of the mouths of a wicked prophet. Let me die the death of the righteous. Balaam looked right down there over Israel. And he said, man, look at them. They're God's people. May I die the death of the righteous. I have prayed that prayer many times through the years. Lord, let me die the death of the righteous. Why did Balaam not go to heaven? That's a great prayer. Because he didn't want to... Die the die of the righteous enough to live the life of the righteous. He didn't have a strong enough desire. There wasn't something burning in his gut that forced him to cry out to the living God. Jesus standing before Pilate, what does Pilate say? What is truth? One of the greatest questions I've ever asked to the Romans, truth is reality. What's the real story behind the world? What, what is reality here? What, what, what's going on here? How do we understand the world? Great question. 
One of the best questions that's ever been asked in the history of the world. What is reality? What's the true story of life in the world where we live? Why didn't Pilate get saved? Because he didn't want it bad enough to stick around and talk to Jesus for a while. The problem was the intensity of the desire. Herod, they took Jesus over to Herod. The Bible says Herod had wanted to see Jesus. He had a desire to know him. Then why wasn't Herod a believer? Because he didn't have enough desire. He wasn't strong enough. So you need to ask yourself the question. Does it burn in you when there is sin in your life? When you fail him? Is there an immediate breaking of your heart? Do you sense it? Do you feel it? Do you understand it? Number three. Number three. St. Bernard said, I always had a strong desire for God. The desire has to be focused toward Him. We are created with many desires and appetites. You heard the other verse that Ruthie read. We have things to worry about, things to be concerned about, things that we, we need to care about. And the very reason God gave you desires, and listen to the old man here, listen to the, pre- listen to the pastor, listen to me. The reason God gave you desires is because it is the only way whereby you can measure your devotion to God. If you were a blob, if you didn't have feelings, if you didn't have appetites, if you didn't have strong emotion, how would you know whether you love God or not? So what God has done, God has allowed us to have feelings. We are created with feelings, with appetites, with, with wants and desires. What's the purpose? To make sure that you are always checking with your heart and making sure that you love God more than you love the number one thing you love in life. For me, that's easy to analyze. The love of my life is Ruthie. 47 years we've been together. And what you see in public is what it is in private. We've had an idyllic relationship, fairy tale existence from the very first day. And so the question of my life is, do I love God more than I love Ruth? I've told you I'm addicted to food. I had two heart attacks and a stroke. Not because I preached five times a weekend. That probably didn't help anything. But I basically dug my own grave with my teeth. I weighed, as I told you, 50 pounds more than I do now. is huge and wasn't careful about myself. And as I said, there are some days I want to eat the doorknob. I'm so hungry for food. And I have to ask myself the question, John, you ever gotten so desperate for God? You thought you were going to eat the doorknob. Have you ever wanted him that bad? That's why we have the desires. They become a part of us. And so we have the other desires. They're normal and they're good as long as they don't go to excess, as long as you don't worry, as Jesus talked about. But you have these desires and your appetites. And so the whole purpose is that I can look and see, do I love God more than I love this? Do I want Him more than I want this? Always can I take it one step up and say, I want Him. This this is who we are. When I was about to retire, one of the closest friends I have on the planet um, came to me and he said, John, when you retire, 
Are you going to start smoking cigars? Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with smoking a cigar. I'm not, that's not, that's not the point. It hurt my feelings, and here's why. The implication was that maybe I was living the life I live to the extent I live it because of my position. Because it's just, that's what you do. That deeply offended me. Because we live this life because we cannot live it. We love this. This is heart and soul and joy and gladness. This is our breath. It's not about a job. It's not about a position. It's not about pleasing your parents. No, you do this because you hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then the last thought. You want to hunger and thirst after righteousness because if you do, you shall be filled. See, you can't say that about anything else in the world. There are two things you always have struggle with in this world, deception and disappointment. You, you always have the problem of finally reaching a goal you've always wanted to reach, and you get there, and it ain't always cracked up to be. You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Sure. You've given your life something. You've worked and you work. You've got it all, the American dream, everything. You say, boy, this just doesn't cut it. You're like a person who's climbing up a ladder, trying to reach. There's a door up there with a little sign. You can barely read it. It says, Contentment. And so you climb the ladder, you climb, you climb, you climb. This is your desire, and you get there. And lo and behold, when you're close enough to really read it, it didn't say contentment, it said counterfeit. And then there's disappointment. You strive after something, and you never get it. You, you want it, you've prayed for it, you've tried, and it has never come. But Jesus is saying to you, you will always get what you want in the spiritual realm. Now, do you notice, do, are you listening to what I'm saying here? He does not say you have to attain. He doesn't say you have to achieve. He says all you have to do is want. This is why I feel that Christians almost always in their prayer life are starting at the wrong points. Here, here's the way most of us in the room pray. We don't have much love for a neighbor down the street. Lord God, give me enough, give me, give me a little more love for the neighbor. We don't have enough peace. God, give me peace. Uh, God, give me joy. We're, we're asking about something. Whereas if I understand what Jesus is saying here, the way you get that is to be hungry for it. And therefore you don't come and say, God, give me peace. God, give me joy. You come and you say, make me want your peace. Make me want your joy. Make me want it. Because if I want it, I can have it all. It is in the desire. It is in the wanting. You will never be deceived. You'll never finally get it and say, well, it wasn't all it's cracked up to be. You will never be disappointed. You will always have as much of God as you want to have. Now, let me make sure you understand the difference between all these desires for the world and what Jesus is talking about here. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus never taught us to strive for happiness? That's really interesting for a God who loves us, who's willing to crawl on a cross and die for our sins. He never told us to strive for happiness. Now, do not assume from that that he did not want us to be happy. What he was saying to us is this. If you strive for happiness first, if you put that first, it's always got to be by the way of the world. You've got to have some dreams, you've got to have some desires, and they will always either deceive you or disappoint you. The things of the world like drinking salt water. Drink it, 
to your fill. And it just makes you hungrier, thirstier. You, you can't, the world cannot satisfy. It just can't do it. And so Jesus is saying to us now, but if you will come to me now. So anything that you try to get from the world, you're going to end up disappointed. Always. But he's saying this, but if you will come to me first, on the backside, you will find the happiness you really want. If you have it this way, happiness first, you'll never be content. You'll never have joy. You'll never be what God wants you to be. If you'll take happiness out of the equation and put it behind loving the Lord, then it comes as a side effect. You never find happiness by pursuing it directly. It's always a spin-off. It's always a corollary. It's always off to the side. You know? One more thought and we're done. One of the most popular sermons I ever preached, one of the ones that gets requested as much as any I ever preached, is a sermon I preached from Ephesians chapter 1 about what it means to be seated in heavenly places. We live in earth. But Paul said we are sitting in heaven, as it were, spiritually seated in heavenly places. And so through the years, I've encouraged people to imagine the Christian life being like this. That you live life carrying heaven with you, your spot, your special place. Now, some people actually believe that the closer you get to God, the easier life gets. That is so, that's so hellish. That, that's, so, um, that's, that's a person who doesn't have a clue what it means to live near God. The longer you live in the Lord, the harder the Christian life gets. The closer you get to Jesus, the more the winds blow. The more you are hated by the evil one. And so what you have to learn is, here you are fighting against the gales of life, the hurricanes are in you. You have to walk with the Lord in such a way. You have to want righteousness so much. You have to hunger and thirst. To the point that no matter what's happening, you're saying, Lord, I want you. I don't care what goes on here. If I get nothing out of life, I want you. And so every once in a while, you just stop. And you sit in heaven, in the heavenly place. And with the storm blowing around you, kids sick, wife upset, finances collapsed, the whole world crumbling in front of you, just found out you got cancer. The list goes on and on and on. But you stop. And for a moment you have heaven. And there you have the happiness. Not in all the stuff, not in all the successes, not in what's going on around, but it's here. And I will tell you this. Even though it is true that the Christian life gets harder the longer you live it and the closer you get to Jesus, I will also tell you this. That even though the struggle is harder and you're fighting more in a more difficult way than you've ever done, let me tell you this. The farther you go, every time you sit, Jesus is sweeter than he's ever been. It gets more like heaven here. You just sense it. You just know it. When you feel like nobody cares, you sit down and you think, you know, Lord, you told me that if I would hunger and thirst after righteousness, I'll be filled. So I'm just going to sit here for a little bit. My world's falling apart. Everything's terrible. The whole world's caving on me. But for just a few moments, it's me and you, period. And even though the battle of life gets harder and gets worse, 
these moments when you sit, they get better. You remember um, what Isaac Watts said in the song that we all sang growing up? The hill of Zion yields a thousand sacred sweets before we reach the sacred fields. In other words, he's saying Zion is like heaven. Zion was the top of the hill where the temple sat. And so you always had to go up to the temple. And so they'd say they're going up to Zion. And so he says, now going up to Zion is tough. I mean, it's tough to get up that hill. You've got to go up there to get up to the top of Zion. But he said, but the hill, even though it's hard and it's tough, it yields a thousand sacred sweets before you get there. And the sweets get better. Life gets harder. That's better than it was last time. That's probably enough for today. Why don't we go to prayer? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Now, Christians, I'm going to ask you to sit in heaven right now. Sit in the heavenly place. Paul gave us a great concept, didn't he? To be seated in the heavenly place. Now, I want you to sit there. Some of you came in here with burdens so great that if they were on my shoulders, I'd fall to the ground in a fetal position.